On today's show, the Hawks hold serve at home on a Saturday evening, even though Trey Young gets ejected in the third quarter with a one technical ejection. We'll get into all the transpired in offense first win coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1438 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I'm your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you late into the night on a Friday evening into Saturday. This show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Thank everyone more with FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown today to get started. And today's show is going to be diving into what became a win for the Hawks at home, 143 to 130 over the Pacers. My apologies uh, at the top of the podcast for the technical difficulties. This is actually my third attempt at this podcast. There's been all kinds of behind-the-scenes nonsense, so my apologies on the lack of quality here. Hopefully that will return to normal starting on tomorrow's show. But in the meantime, I dedicate myself to getting you a podcast, and here we are, deep into the night. I'm going crazy, but uh, we'll dive into the game right now. And I also want to thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, make us your first listen each and every day at Lockdown Hawks. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, etc. And uh, yeah, for one thing, this is a Hawks win that gives them – even longer, the NBA record winning streak, I should say, for being 28 games in a row within a single game of 500. With this win, the Hawks are now back to 37 and 37 with eight games remaining. And uh, lots of headliners in this one beyond the fact that Trey Young got ejected. We'll, we'll definitely talk about that quite a bit later on in the podcast. This is a season high for the Hawks with 143 points in a regulation game, no less. They scored at least 33 points in all four quarters. The offense was awesome in this game. So I'll start positively. Here on, on this late night podcast, the Hawks scored more than 1.4 points per possession in this game. That is elite no matter the context at all. Obviously, we'll get into the context later on with Indiana's defense, etc. But you have to make the shots and convert and up- operate at a high level. And the Hawks did anything they wanted to basically on offense throughout this entire game. Um, the results were as follows. 55% from the field, 15 of 30 from three, 50% there, obviously. 22 of 25 at the line, 88%. 76 points in the paint is a sky-high number. They dominated the glass this game. They grabbed almost half of their missed shots on the offensive glass with 22 second chance points. 33 assists for the Hawks in this game, plus 13 turnovers is just fine. That's a very nice ratio, of course. And all 10 guys that that played for the Hawks in this game scored at least seven points. Eight players scored in double figures, led by John Collins with 21 points. DeJounte Murray came back after a two-game absence, had 20 points and 12 assists. And Quinn Snyder said after the game, and I agree with him on this, that the bench was, quote, unbelievable. And that's true. That was They were really awesome in this game as well. Uh, a little bit of cold water, I guess, is that Indiana is really bad defensively. That is worth noting here. They came into the game 25th in the league in defensive rating, and they were also missing Miles Turner. Miles Turner is by far, and I, I want to stress this, by far their best defender, their anchor, etc. And Indiana is the worst defensive rebounding team in the league, which definitely showed up in this game. So maybe adjust a little bit down because of how bad Indiana's defense was, and also um, importantly for context purposes as well, Indiana had a very tough back-to-back. They played a normal game on Friday evening, in Boston, that had to fly to Atlanta for a five o'clock start on Saturday. I'm not sure why they even approved that schedule for the NBA, but that was a brutal t- turnaround for Indiana. And that's part of the reason why the Hawks were favored by so much in this game. But the last thing on the offense here, a pretty bonker stat from Hawks PR. It is the second time since 1979-1980 of the Hawks scored at least 140 points and shot 50% from the field, 50% from three-point range, 80% of the free throw line in a game. The only other time they did that was in January of 1993, and I am sure we have lots of listeners that were not even alive at that point in time. So 
It has been 30 years since the Hawks did that. That kind of ratio only twice in the last almost 45 years that they did that, that exact thing. So obviously it was a dominant performance on offense. And even if you adjust down a little bit for Indiana in the context and all that stuff, the Hawks played great on offense in this game. Now, uh, defensively, it was less appetizing. Uh, it was awful in the first half. I'll say that. It was better in the second half. Still not great. I thought third quarter was pretty good, actually. Panthers did shoot the ball pretty well in this game. Had 60 points in the paint. The Hawks did win the trouble battle in this one. They forced 17 giveaways from Indiana. But Indiana had 33 assists in this game. The biggest edge that the Hawks had in this one head-to-head was, was that they, they actually took more than twice as many free throw attempts as the Pacers. But make no mistake, the Hawks were pretty bad defensively throughout this game. Even when it got better in the third, it wasn't like they were dominating. And Indiana is pretty good on offense when they're all at full strength. And Tyrese Halliburton plays this year. Indiana is a 500 team, which doesn't sound like anything great. But considering like what they could be, they're still pretty potent on offense when Halliburton's in there. But still, it was uh, kind of a mess all the way across the board. For Indiana on, uh, on offense, they were pretty good. Defensively, they were pretty bad. I'm talking about the Pacers now. And the Hawks were the same, just better on both ends of the floor in a vacuum. Um, as far as the context, again, the Pacers went back-to-back in this game. The Hawks had some injury questions. Uh, DeAndre Hunter missed this game with a knee contusion. He was listed as questionable coming in, ended up not being able to go, and that kind of contributed, I thought, to the Hawks being so bad on defense, honestly, because usually Hunter is their best perimeter defender. I said this during the game, got some pushback, but I, I do believe it. The Hawks, until they put Aaron Holiday in the game in the second half, because Trey got ejected, um, did not play a single guy that I would describe as being an above-average defender on the perimeter. Now, on the interior, you have a Kongwu, you have Capella. I think even Collins is above average at this point in time. But on the perimeter, yes, Dejounte Murray has that reputation, but he's not played at that level this year. Then you have Trey, you have Garrison Matthews, you have AJ Griffin, you have Bogdanovich. That's not great defensively. Obviously, that's part of the problem in this one, uh, and that kind of led to kind of what the problem was there. I'm not saying that Hunter is this incredible defender, but he is their best guy on the perimeter, especially with Jalen Johnson out as well. So anyway, that was part of the issue. But uh, big picture, before we dive into the game itself, just for some context here, the Hawks were favored in this game by 10 points, according to our friends at FanDuel. Now, that's a huge number for a team that is 500 for the season, like the Hawks are. But again, back-to-back for Indiana. It's one of the five biggest spreads of the season for Atlanta, I think, something in that five or six range. And they ended up covering it, um, not with too much comfort, but they got they got there at the very end of the game. So on one hand, and a game that the Hawks kind of had to win, if they had lost it, it would have been pretty rough. But they were in some doubt going into the third quarter of this game, and they kind of had to battle back. And I thought it was at least impressive from the bench and really the whole team after Trey was ejected. It was tied when Trey got ejected in the third quarter. And the Hawks were still favored pretty solidly there in the live market, all that stuff. But it was good to see the Hawks kind of put the, the pedal to the floor and put the game away at the end of the contest. All right. Uh, this is going to be a little bit shorter podcast than we normally do. So I'm going to go, I'll go ahead and dive into the first half of the game right now. Uh, and it was DeJounte Murray on Halliburton early on. Uh, they started bogey, which I didn't love in this game because, you know, throwing bogey out there with Trey and DeJounte defensively against a team that is guard heavy with the Pacers is probably a little bit rough schematically. It was 14 to 6 Pacers because the Hawks just could not stay in front of the four guard lineup that Indiana was kind of, kind of using. The Hawks gave up more than a point and a half for possession in the first six minutes. And Lauren Jabbar on, on the Valley Sports broadcast shared the Quinn Snyder was told on the team. During a timeout, they were jogging and Pacers were sprinting, which definitely was back to the moment if you watched the film. That Pacers were just playing a lot faster than the Hawks were. And really the entire first half, Atlanta could not contain the ball. And that's been a problem all year long, for sure. But it was also pretty glaring across this game. Um, they were done by as many as nine points in the first quarter before kind of waking up with a 12-3 to run to tie it in about three minutes. Collins had a really good start for the Hawks. He had actually 11 of the first, 11 of the first 22 points for Atlanta. A nice lob from Murray to Collins for a reverse dunk at one point. Um, rotationally, no big surprises other than the second half when Trey got ejected. 
Um, they played Bay more to three in the first half because Collins was playing so well. I think that was part, always part of the problem or part of the reason, I should say. Um, Matthews got the call as the ninth man in this game. That was a mild surprise to me because of how well Aaron Holiday played the last time out and also because of the defensive questions. But he was good, as we'll talk about later on. Garrison had his best game as a Hawk in this game. Also, in addition to Collins having a hot start, A.J. Griffin had 11 points in, in six minutes. He had three threes, gave him a shot in the arm energy-wise, played better defense than some of the guys on the perimeter as well. So I thought he played very well early on in this one. And the Hawks managed to go up by four points at the end of the quarter despite the bad defense. Uh, they gave up 35 points in the first quarter. But the Hawks had 11 assists, including seven by Murray in the first quarter, and attempted 11 threes, which is good to see. Um, second quarter, Matthews got started, had eight points pretty quickly, hit two threes, was at least trying on defense. But the problem was the team overall, and I think in particular Sadiq Bey had a problem, but he was not the only one by any, by any means. Uh, Jordan Nawara, who is an off-the-radar player that many people had not even heard of coming into the game. I knew him, obviously, um, but a lot of like more casual fans, maybe maybe just Hawks fans that don't watch the whole league. Jordan Nawara has been a bench guy his entire career to this point, kind of a fringe player. He had 25 points in the second quarter for Indiana. Now, that's the most points in a quarter by any pacer in at least 25 years. So that's Reggie Miller, and that's Paul George, and Tyrese Halliburton, et cetera. Um, and only the eighth player all year in the NBA to score at least 25, 25 points in the quarter. Eighth player in the in the league this year to have a 25-point quarter. And this is Jordan Nawara off the bench. That was a pretty unbelievable stretch. Now, granted, he was hot. Obviously, that's part of this. But the Hawks were really bad defensively on him. How about Bay in particular was struggling, uh, bogey at one point, et cetera. Uh, Indiana tied it by the middle of the quarter. Both teams at that point, after about 20 minutes of play, were scoring about 1.4 points per possession. That's really bad defense, obviously, on the perimeter. Um, Collins had a great sequence, though, after that with a lovely pass to Capella for a dunk and then a spin move and a dunk of his own on the next trip. But uh, defensively, it was just unbelievably bad for a long time. Uh, Bogey, Bay, Trey, Mur Murray, Capella was probably worse than usual for him on the perimeter. Uh, it was all bad. And the Hawks were only down by two at the halftime break, despite um, that bad defense because they were so good on offense. Because it's kind of hard to be losing when you score 72 points on 52 possessions. That's about a 140 offensive rating, and they were losing at halftime because the defense was that, was that bad. Um, truly great numbers across the board offensively. Collins had 15 points. Nine guys had at least four points, et cetera, et cetera. But they gave up 74 points to the Pacers, including 24 of 31 from two in the first half. Obviously, things got better in the second half, which we'll get into it in a second. And we'll talk more about the Trey Young ejection and all that fun stuff. It's a takeaway from tonight's game. Before we get to that, though, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Nissan. And Nissan's most electrical player of the week is brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. And this week's choice is going to be Garrison Matthews. The Nissan Aria is brilliantly fierce, fiercely elegant, slightly powerful, and they bring an impressive combination of choice to the table. It's a perfect crossover. And Matthews. Didn't have the best week of any Hawk or anything like that, but he did have a breakout game on Saturday with 14 points in 14 minutes. And this week is also marking his first real minutes for the Hawks as a rotation player. It's also a reminder to those that may not be familiar with him a ton, but he's a rotation level player and he has a high end skill set as a shooter. When he has it going, it's a lot of fun. And Matthews is the recipient of our Player of the Week honors here from Nissan's Most Electric Player of the Week. And Nissan Aria packs power that will put you to your seat and also has the most premium intelligence all in one EV. The all new, all electric 2023 Nissan Aria. For people who want to drive and love to drive, shop now at NissanUSA.com. Today's show is brought to you by Ibotta. And we're always throwing money at something. School supplies for kids, a new house project, the list goes on. So I'm spending that hard-earned money without getting anything in return. And the answer to that is Ibotta. With Ibotta, you can earn cash back on every single shopping trip that you're doing and also get cash back on hundreds of grocery items. Your link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop. Get the cash back. It's just that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $120 a year in real cash back. 
that cover a whole wide range of things. That'd be very helpful, especially when you remember that most grocery orders now are more expensive than they were in 2022 because of the uh, inflation that's going on across the country. And you earn 22 and a half times that in cash back and from Ibotta or even more, depending on how much you use Ibotta's products. Ibotta gives you real cash back, not points. Ibotta gives you points that don't actually amount to much. But with Ibotta, you get real cash back, back to your bank account, PayPal or with gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands, retailers too, when you're starting with Ibotta, including Lowe's and Macy's and Sephora. Best Buy and much more. And right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for, by trying the service by using the code LOCKED when you register at Ibotta. Go to the App Store or Google Play Store right now, download the free Ibotta app, and use the code LOCKED. That is I B O T T A in Google Play or App Store, and use the code LOCKED when you get there. All right. And it was more of the same early in the third quarter from the Hawks, and then a big time headline making event with about eight minutes left in the third quarter. It looked like Trey Young had a potential four point play. But he got whistled for an offensive foul, kick out of his leg. That was a pretty normal call, honestly, in the course of things. But he was obviously frustrated by that and whatever else and ended up throwing the ball with some force toward a referee. That was not taken well by the ref. And the officials seemed to be completely blindsided by it. I think that was all the reporting that was uh, on the scene in Atlanta. The people that were plugged in and watching this kind of – there was only one replay shown on the broadcast, but it was kind of – everybody in the building was like not surprised that he, was, that he was ejected. It felt like a pretty soft ejection from what we could see. But still, honestly, you can't do that. Dominique Wilkins said this on the broadcast repeatedly. Like, you just can't have that be what, what happens if you're Trey Young in a tie game in the third quarter. Also, Trey got his 15th technical of the season. So his next technical foul will be 16, and that means an automatic one-game suspension. So he's too close to that, obviously. There's eight games remaining. If you do the math, he's been averaging more than one per eight games. So um, if he stays on pace, he's going to miss at least one more game uh, with suspension. Not, not a guarantee there, but he's got to be on his best behavior for the rest of the year. And also... Um, every two every two technicals, that, technicals after that, you get another suspension. So if he managed to get three more this year, which I, don't, I think is probably a lot, obviously. But if that happened, he actually missed, had to miss two games. So it's a bad moment. Uh, I don't, I don't want to make too much of it. It wasn't like he literally like, – if you just read some of the reporting, it was like he threw the ball. He didn't really like throw the ball at the official. It was one of those just frustration things, but he just threw it way too hard and kind of in a manner that you don't see guys do more often than not. Um, I thought it was telling – that if you see the reactions of the players and coaches, no one was particularly like aggrieved that he got ejected. So maybe that was part of the problem there. Trey seemed to be pretty surprised by it. If you watch the replay back, he was like walking away as if nothing happened as he was being thrown out of the game. Um, so anyway, that happened. I don't like. I don't have a hot take. It doesn't mean like anything about anything about Trey big picture. But it was a bad moment for him, and he gets ejected in a tie game with a team that they're better than, obviously. It was 84 to 84, and they went to Aaron Holiday moments later because he hadn't played at all in the first half. And usually, if a guy doesn't play in the first half, it takes something pretty weird to have him play 11 minutes in the second half, and that's because Trey got ejected. So I thought the Hawks were better after Trey got ejected. That doesn't mean that Trey was the problem or anything like that, but the Hawks were better after that. Um, Murray, I thought, figured out that he needed to attack and attack the rim, which is nice to see. He had 10 points in the third quarter, was much better in the third overall. They had a three later, late in the quarter to go up by seven points. The Pacers still shot well in the third, but importantly and impressively, the Hawks only had – sorry, the Hawks gave up zero offensive rebounds to the Pacers and had five turnovers in that period. They held the Pacers to their worst performance of any quarter defensively, and the Hawks did play well on offense with 12 free throw attempts and five offensive rebounds in the third quarter, and that led the Hawks to kind of breaking it open a little bit. And then in the fourth quarter, with the rotation a little bit um, thrown off with Trey out of the game, ended up working out pretty well, actually, because the Hawks – Lean on the bench unit that was kind of this five-man group that doesn't, I would say, almost never would play together, but it ended up working out very well. It was a 25-10 to 10 extended run over about five minutes of play. So the Hawks scored 25 points in five minutes because they made five straight threes. Two of those from Garrison Matthews. Bay was making shots. Bogey had a second dunk of the season 
CornNBA.com. That was nice to see. Uh, defensively, it did regress again after the third quarter. The Hawks had 30 points in about seven and a half minutes and did not run away because pace, because because Indiana kept scoring. But it was not quite secure. There was one big block by John Collins with about three and a half minutes to go on Isaiah Jackson. It was kind of a headline-making defensive play. And the lead was like in the 10 to 12-point range for a long time. And then Indiana kind of punted with like two minutes to go, down 14. So the run never came from the Pacers. But mostly it was the offense that was kind of cooking with gas for the Hawks down the stretch. Um, all right. Individual player breakdown stuff now. As we already gave the numbers at the top of the podcast about how good the offense was in this game. Um, the bench got a lot of credit after the game, and, and I would say deservedly so. All five guys off the bench were at least plus nine in this game. Uh, I thought that Aaron Holiday played the least, but I thought he played well when he, when he got in there. Seven points, made two threes, had two assists. Defensively, he was their best option on this night. Um, Garrison, Garrison Matthews had his best game by far as a Hawk, hit four threes, 14 points. It was good to see him play well, number one, but also – I think that I said this at the time of the trade a lot, but like Garrison Matthews is a rotation level player in the NBA. He's also not in their top 10, nor is Aaron Holiday. So it's like easy to kind of overlook that. But part of the appeal of the of the of trading for Matthews and Bruno, but especially Matthews, was for number one, shooting, number two, um, a friendly contract, but just for depth. Like the Hawks uh, obviously have got a lot of headlines for 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 trading for Cedric Bay, but adding Matthews like is useful because if you something happened to Bogey or Griffin, they would need that shooting, and Matthews can shoot. He's not going to make four out of five every game, but and defensively, like he's not good, but he does play hard and he'll get into you. And like he's not embarrassing at all defensively. So like I think Garrison Matthews is a very competent, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth man on a lot of teams. For the Hawks, he's like their eleventh or twelfth guy, and that's fine. But I thought he, he played well in this game. It was definitely important to this one. Congo played pretty well. Uh, he didn't play a ton actually in this one because they kind of didn't need him come back in after that long stretch in the second half. 12.6 rebounds, had three steals and a block. I thought the Hawks had a lot of great play from the center spot in this game, generally speaking. Uh, AJ had a great first half, was cool in the second half, but was plus 25 in the game. He was huge for them, especially early on when they kind of needed it. Um, three assists, had two blocks, actually. 11 points, and uh, once, once again, plus, plus 25 is pretty crazy. And then Sadiq Bey uh, played the most, had 18 points on 3 of 7 from 3, 7 of 16 from the floor, 6 rebounds and an assist. Uh, defensively, he was pretty rough, but offensively, given what, what they're asking for, for sure, had a couple of nice drives, actually. Not always his best attribute, but a nice uh, offensive game overall for Sadiq. And then you'll take that when, you, when it comes along with his defense, for sure. Um, to the starters, Trey played the least for obvious reasons. Uh, 14 points and 21 minutes when he left, five assists. Uh, he was fine. He didn't play great, nor was he, da- nor was he bad. I think the, the perimeter trio defensively of Trey, Bogey, and DeJounte did not work at all. Not that it was ever going to, but certainly the Hawks were going to have to uh, outscore them with that, with that group on the floor. Uh, Bogey, speaking of which, nine points, four rebounds, had an assist, had a nice springy dunk, and had a three in the second half. But I don't think he was very good. I think he was probably their worst player in this game that appeared on the floor um, just because of the defense. He was getting lit up pretty visibly in this one. Um Collins played very well with the team in scoring with 21 points, had two blocks, including one huge one late against Ajay Jackson, had a steal, three assists, um, seven of seven of eight from two, two of four from three. Um, I think Kevin Sharp pointed this out. He's shooting like 37% from three for a while now. It's good to see. Fingers crossed on that. Because if John's making shots, he's a much better player, obviously. But I think the uh the overall downturn of John Collins was greatly overstated by many people. I think he's still a very good player, and that was uh, on display here. Uh Capella had a weird game. So in the first half, I thought Clint was like one of, I'm not going to say he was terrible defensively because he wasn't, but he was not his normal self defensively. He was pretty shaky. Uh, I think the perimeter was still much more of the problem than he was, but he still he was not very good in the first half, I didn't think. But in the end of the game, 
Clint ends up with 17 points, 17 rebounds, and a block, and did not miss a shot in the game. 5 of 5 from the floor, and 7 of 8 at the free throw line from Clint Capella. That's nice to see. So he made some history, actually. Um, only the fourth player in Hawks history, per Hawks PR, to have at least 15 points, 15 rebounds without missing a shot. So he only took five. But uh, on a night when Clint like actually made history with his line, I don't think he played that well. He was better in the second half for sure, but um, it's a good reminder that the Hawks have this 48 minutes of great center play, and that's very helpful. Anyway, uh, last guy on the agenda, DeJounte Murray, tw- 20 points, 12 assists, two steals and a block. I thought he struggled in the first half, but uh, to his credit, when Trey left the game, DeJounte had his best stretch in the third quarter. Not necessarily like all him, but he was passing the ball very well. 12 assists and one turnover is very impressive in general but he was much more aggressive getting to the rim, not settling as much as he kind of tends to do. And I thought he played pretty well in Trey's absence. So before we get out of here, sort of taking stock on this one, it was not a game that the Hawks should be like incredibly happy with and that they didn't play defensively very well. And that's been the problem. I think since the all-star break now, the numbers are pretty rough defensively. Like it's hard to get crazy or worked up about a sample size as small as this, but the Hawks in 26, sorry, in 15 games, have a 119.3 defensive rating. That is terrible. And the teams that are below them are bad defenses, like flat-out bad defenses like Houston, Indiana, Portland. Uh, Sacramento is an awful defensive team, I mean, even though they're awesome on offense. So, yeah, it's been good offensively. It's been bad, it's been bad on defense. That was definitely the case in this game. But, um, yeah, we'll leave it there for now. I did enough to get the win, and that's kind of all that matters in a spot where they just kind of needed to get a victory because of what's going to come up on Sunday. So before we get to the game on Sunday – a standings check-in. Um, with the Hawks beating the Pacers, the Hawks got a lot closer to securing at least a play-in spot. My friend Matt Moore of Action Network tweeted this out during the game, but the Hawks have a magic number now of only five to clinch a spot in the play-in with eight games to go. So if the Hawks, no matter what happens around them, if the Hawks were to go five and three, they at least are in the play-in. And I think they brought, they probably can go like two and six and make the play-in. Just don't go an eight, basically. <laughs> um, so it would take an epic collapse. I think that's probably pretty safe. Toronto was off tonight. So the Hawks have a one-game lead for the eighth spot, and the Heat lost to the Nets. So the Hawks are two and a half by Miami for the seventh seed and three behind Brooklyn for the sixth seed with eight to play. If Atlanta were to go eight and no, which I'm not saying is likely at all because it's not, um, they would have a chance to get out of the play-in, but I think it's not very likely at this point in time. Anyway, um, on the agenda on Sunday is a game against Memphis. Memphis comes to Atlanta. The Grizzlies, the Grizzlies are really hot right now. They won five games in a row. They won eight of the last nine. Plus, Memphis is actually already, already in Atlanta. They had a rest, they had a rest advantage in this game because they, they were not playing on Saturday. So that's a pretty tough spot for the Hawks. Um, is it impossible? No. You know, home back-to-backs are easier than travel back-to-backs because you don't have to travel in between games. But the Hawks still had a game today that they had to try in, obviously. Had some injury stuff with Trey and DeJounte. Trey had a short night, obviously, but still. Um, as I record this, before the injury report is available for the Hawks, because we, we won't know that until Monday. Uh, sorry, Sunday afternoon, the Hawks are currently two-point underdogs at home on FanDuel. Now, that's kind of a quimble game in a lot of ways. Memphis is obviously better than the Hawks pretty clearly this year. Um, they are going to be without Brandon Clark for the rest of the season. They also are without Steven Adams. John Morant is revving back into form at this point. So not a spot that's impossible by any means, but certainly because of how difficult that game is on paper, that kind of puts some extra emphasis on the game today that the Hawks were able to win. So getting that one is nice. Still though, eight games to go on the agenda for Atlanta and getting a win or we stealing one at home against Memphis will be pretty impressive. And we'll have a uh, full recap of that game on Sunday evening. Thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. I really do appreciate it. And also thank you for your flexibility as my uh, podcast setup is a little bit altered right now. 
lots and lots of difficulties. So hopefully I was not too incoherent, but I recorded the podcast basically three times in a row. That's always a little bit frustrating, but I do appreciate your patience and your patronage in general. Please subscribe to the show across podcast platforms, Apple and Spotify and YouTube and Google Play, etc. We'll be back after the game on Sunday and we'll see you next time.